Hey there, unfuckers, subfuckers, eurofuckers, down under fuckers, uncanuckers, unfuckers of all stripes, plant fuckers, who else? Kiwi fuckers. Kiwi fuckers, that's right. We have a new one in New Zealand. Difficult. Definitely. No, definitely. We're going to jump right into show notes after our quickie that received a lot of responses, actually. So this was the quickie that we did calling out three specific races where there are progressives on the ballot that have a good chance at winning if the stars align, if nothing crazy happens, but just showing the importance of voting during the primaries so that we can occupy the Democratic Party and hopefully revive it someday down the road. There are so many articles, there are so many pundits right now that are opining and waxing about, oh, the, the bloodbath that is to be in the midterms. And we went through a few of the races that are you know, we have some potential to not just pick up some seats, but pick up some seats with some really strong candidates. The feedback was pretty extraordinary, I have to say. So that's why we're going to jump right into this, because people feel very passionately about this. And what I found really interesting is that people that are not even in the states that we're talking about also feel pretty passionate about what is happening. And, and a lot of eyes are going to be on these races. So just as a refresher, the three areas that we're talking about, we have one in Wisconsin, one in Texas, and the other in Pennsylvania. The Wisconsin race has two progressives that seem to be you know, pretty pretty well aligned with the party. We have the current lieutenant governor, Mandela Barnes, and Tom Nelson, who is the out of Gamey county executive. Lesser known, but has the bona fides, as uh, Nettie and Knutson let us know in Wisconsin to make a real run for the Senate seat. That's interesting, but there are well-funded establishment Democrats that have just as good of a shot, if not maybe better shot. So all eyes are gonna be on Wisconsin as a typical bellwether, rust belt type of state that all eyes are typically on. Likewise, in Pennsylvania, we have an unusual candidate in John Fetterman, who is probably one of the most unusual and inspiring progressive candidates, but we had some thoughts about uh, an incident in his past, and our listeners had some thoughts for us about our thoughts on the incident in his past, and we'll get to that. And then we have an, a race that we're adopting a candidate. We're adopting a race in Texas with a woman named Jessica Cisneros, who's running against an establishment Democrat and a real asshole named Henry Cuellas. And uh, we're, we're very grateful for the outpouring of support that Cisneros got through our media channels, through our social channels, and from people emailing us that they're going to support her campaign and a request to continue to report on these campaigns as we go forward. So we will acknowledge that. And let's get into it by starting in Wisconsin, first with Knudsen, who gave us some really great information for the last episode. So Knudsen starts by saying that he feels the need to double down on his idea that Barnes needs to raise more and spend better cash. I had mentioned that energy is more important in a primary race, not discounting money, obviously, but that it was really important that Barnes get a lot of energy behind the campaign to make sure that he makes it through and to make sure, obviously, that progressives don't eat themselves alive in the process and allow one of the establishment Democrats to get ahead. But in theory, if Barnes were to prevail and become the progressive candidate far and away, hopefully the two establishment Democrats would themselves, you know, eat each other's base within the, the primary election, and then Barnes could overtake them. So uh, his idea is that he needs more cash. 
and says, on social media, Nelson and Lazary are all over. Godlewski has television ads. He's a few times a day. From Barnes, Knudsen gets text messages. I think Barnes may be holding back on ad spending in the primary. Having been one of the first in the race, he had it almost to himself for a while, but I think he needs now to get more ads in front of Wisconsinites' faces. So I appreciate the, the context that Knudsen gave us for the original episode, and I appreciate it now, obviously. Money does count, and I didn't mean for it to sound like I was discounting that entirely. Barnes is going to have to spend a lot of money, and what will happen if he prevails in the primary is that he will attract a lot more money from the national committees, but also from Democrats in the field that want to align behind him. I do feel from watching a lot of Barnes's media that he is palatable, even for establishment Dems, because he's got a really easy way about him. He's very knowledgeable. He has name recognition throughout the state as lieutenant governor. And if Democrats are going to have a backlash against conservatism and against uh, Rojo in the state, then he, he should be able to attract some big money donors to, to finally prevail in the general election. So I say spend it out. Spend it all out now if he's going to be the candidate. Of course, we know that Nettie, who we'll get to in a second, feels a little bit differently and is still going to be backing Tom Nelson in the primaries because he's a known quantity. She feels like he really has his poop in a group. Because that's what we want to do, right? <laughs> we all want our poop in a group. To be able to, to carry the day. But he's kind of unknown in most parts of the state. So interesting. We'll see what happens there. Anyway, thank you to Knudsen and uh, to Nettie. Nettie did reach out, said, I appreciate that you reached out to get my views. I'm so angry most of the time. It's hard to think clearly. I understand your message but it's hard to let go of the utter hopelessness I feel most of the time. For corporate Democrats to celebrate the defeat of Bernie and Democratic Socialists more than the defeat of Trump is almost more than I can take. And I certainly feel very strongly in alignment with Nettie with respect to that. So thank you again for sending that in, Nettie. And I did want to clarify one thing from the episode that Nettie corrected me on. I had said in the episode that Barnes did not fill out a survey for the out-of-gamey progressives. Turns out that was actually statewide. So Nettie said... It was our Wisconsin Revolution, an independent branch of the nationwide organization. We as a group have not yet endorsed any candidate, but our only request to be considered in our rank choice vote is that you return our questionnaire, which Mandela chose not to do. Even Alex Lazary filled it out. Uh, I appreciate Nettie uh, re-injecting that into the conversation and giving us that correction. Now we're going to go to Pennsylvania with a comment from our, our listener, Ethan, who said, John Fetterman played a massive role giving Braddock an identity, giving us something to believe in. He single-handedly uplifted several restaurants and small businesses that literally 10 years ago would have been impossible to imagine how much they are thriving right now in the city of Braddock. John and his family live in a city with the history of the steel era and the ramifications of a post-industrial mess. The Fettermans live on the border between Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania the border of city culture, and Pennsylvania, which is a name that many aptly describe the space between Pittsburgh and Philly. So I'm going to read a few more comments from Ethan, because Ethan has a really good handle on what's happening in Pennsylvania, and I thought that these were important. First, uh, or secondly, he says, Connor Lamb is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, I think we called that out, but he further highlights it by saying, the important factor regarding his military background and moderate views and criticism of AOC and progressives overtaking the party can be explained by his congressional district, which was way more competitive. It's the same reason why Bob Casey, the pro-life Democrat, will probably hold on to the seat forever, because that shit works in Pennsylvania. 
This is where Fetterman and Lamb's stories really tie together. Both of them were icons in their own right at each wing of the Democratic Party. I love this email for so many reasons. And by the way, the email is very long and there's a lot of other great points in it. I'm going to highlight two very quickly. One, he says, putting Fetterman against Oz on a debate stage will be killer in the general election. And I agree because he's got a national television star backed by Trump against one of the more interesting and unusual candidates that we've ever seen for federal office. Then said, can we add a section of the show maybe once a week where we go back and check in with some of these races over the next couple of months, especially Jessica Cisneros and Fetterman? So the answer is yes, we're going to keep track of those as we go forward. And we're going to remind people before the primaries close out. Some are open for early voting, so we'll have to do it on an ongoing basis. But back to what Ethan was saying about Fetterman and Lamb basically being icons of their own sides of the party. This is important. So Connor Lamb, we excoriated in the episode because he is that establishment Democrat, a former prosecutor. So like Kamala Harris, for example, who has a military background and has all that sort of tough on crime stances running that middle lane as an establishment Democrat. The reason that Connor Lamb is successful is because of his district. And this is where we're always talking about the difference between a blue district and a purple district. So if Connor Lamb was running again just for his congressional seat, it's not as much of a problem because it sounds like it's a purple area, to say the least. So Connor Lamb is the person for his district in theory. Now, again, do I think progressive values and ideals will ultimately all win out because they are more universal than even these middle of the road Democratic ideals? Absolutely. But we also have to get the electorate to recognize that the things that are most favorable and popular to them are progressive ideals and not these mealy-mouthed establishment Democratic ideals. But Connor Lamb is not running for re-election. He's running to be the senator from that state. He's running to be one of the hundred most influential people on the planet by being part of the U.S. Senate. And that's where him being an icon on the right side of the Democratic Party isn't okay. That's not enough. And that's not the type of candidate that we need to progress the values of the progressive end of the party and the Democratic Party and to occupy it and take it over. What's interesting is that Fetterman does embody almost every single progressive ideal that we're shooting for. And remember, when we talk about adding to the progressive caucus, there's 96 in the caucus right now. 95 of them are in the House. Only Bernie sits alone in the Senate. So you you don't even have like an Elizabeth Warren, technically, who's in the progressive caucus, even though she's held herself out there as a progressive for many years. On that note, I got an email from a mutual friend of ours that was talking about her recent op-ed in The New York Times and sort of, again, herself opining that we can't move the party forward and tackle all of our progressive ideals and so on and so forth and how the Democratic Party needs to regain the mantle of the working class in this country. And then was laughing that, you know, if you really want to appeal to that end of the party, you, you should be maybe putting op-ed somewhere other than the New York Times, which is still aligned with the liberal coastal elites in this country. Anyway, Fetterman really is the real deal progressive. And I think Ethan gave us a lot of really good context on the ground. The difference between a congressional race and a Senate race is enormous. And that's why our eyes need to be on Fetterman to take this thing home. Imagine having him and Bernie together in the Senate. It's going to be pretty interesting. And listen, are we going to lose somewhere else? Probably. 
in the midterms. Not because I think that it's going to be death and destruction in the midterms, but that's just politics. It's just how it goes. And those Senate races are always different than what happens in the House. So that is it. 99. Moving on, we have a comment from Betsy S., Betsy says, thank you for the quickie on Wisco. We are totally fucked politically right now with huge Trump support in rural areas, which make up the vast majority of the state. And then next, Jimmy Q wrote in and said, I'm familiar with Fetterman and threw him some support earlier on in his campaign for the Senate. I'd never before heard about the shotgun thing. Frankly, your twisting yourself in knots over that one incident made me scream at my phone. I was actually screaming at you, but you know what I mean. Jesus, man, take your own advice and quit the purity bullshit. I wanted to slap you upside your head, figuratively, of course. Say oops, upside your head. Say oops, upside your head. I do get where you're coming from, but the guy is Lieutenant Governor. Untwist your tidy whities and calm the fuck down. <laughs> so. Uh, so before we get to his closing comment. Yeah, I. I, uh, I get where you're coming from, Jimmy Q. I was half annoyed at myself for putting it out there so much and spending almost as much time on it as Fetterman's candidacy and all of his progressive values. At the same time, I really don't think we can discount it for a couple of reasons. And and it's not something to just quote unquote get over for a couple of reasons. The first is more about the idea of this toxic, patriarchal, masculine, I have a shotgun and I'm going to run outside in my city and apprehend somebody. I get wanting to protect your own. And I'm not talking about the Second Amendment. I'm not talking about the right to bear arms. I'm not talking about any of that. But I am talking about this concept of what does it say about a person who sort of has this like hero mindset of, you know, I'm a big man with a shotgun and I'm going to take this matter into my own hands. We don't need more neighborhood watch in this country. What we need is more sense, fewer guns on the street, and maybe somebody who in that moment is not going to react as poorly and as basely as that. It's a loaded issue because, again, this is your home. Your children are there. You are the anointed protector of the city in terms of the municipal placeholder at that moment who's just sort of like, you know, taking care of the town as the mayor. But you're not the fucking sheriff. So I just I don't like this whole toxic bravado of, you know, man with gun, Bernie Getz style confronts potential perpetrator and and, and holds him. And what Fetterman said was he he did the wrong thing by brandishing a shotgun and running outside of his house. He admitted to that. But I think it's important as part of a character development to understand a person that would do that. But it's also important in this current context to understand that this is where the Republicans are going to drive the wedge when he is successful, in my mind, in the primaries. And it doesn't do us any good to not talk about it today. If anything, we should be addressing it and normalizing it. So are my tidy whities in a, in a bunch? Yeah, they, they are, because we do want to hold our public officials, especially one that's going to be one of the most important people in this country, to the highest possible standards. And we can't just look over at the Republican Party and say, yeah, but what about all these fucking assholes on that side? That's not okay. We can't, it's it's not an either or. It's not a, well, they're so bad, so we can be a little bad. We should be holding people to the highest standards. He should be held to account for that particular moment in time. And if everybody's cool with it and we can move past it and he acknowledges that in today's day and age, that probably would have gone down very fucking differently than it did just a few years back 
because of how aware we are in the media landscape now of how wrong those type of actions are to just presume guilt of somebody who's jogging down the street who then also happens to be black. So we can't just brush it under the rug and say, get over it. We have to address it. But I'm still on Team Fetterman is the larger point here is that I think that this is the person with the values and the ideals to help us run this country going forward. But I, you know, again, was I, uh, do I (laughs) untwist your tidy whities and calm the fuck down? I'm definitely calm about it. There's no question. But I think it's appropriate to bring it up. I do think it's something to talk about. Yeah, I think you can't get to a place of acceptance and understanding unless you talk about it. Right. Because, I mean, you've had many a conversation at me about me not holding a whole entity up to thinking everything is bad because of one thing and not and discounting the good because it's easy to be reactionary here. And for me, it comes from a place of overwhelm where I'm like, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe things are still happening like that. And then I just cast the whole thing aside. And in business, you can't really do that sometimes, especially if you work with people. So if you know someone who works for Amazon, doesn't mean they're a bad person. It means maybe they were there for years before things got bad. Maybe they need to be there because they can't get another job. I mean, there's so many things. So before you go and say like, well, fuck you, you know, because you're there, which is what my... I mean, I think it's probably slightly generational, uh, you know, a young people thing now we do is like, fuck all of this. But, you know, relating that back, it's like we have to talk it through to understand that, yeah, if you took the intersection of people who wrongly assume black people are criminals and say all of those people are bad, mm-hmm. then you don't get to learn about this person who made a mistake, still shouldn't have done it, right. but, you know. Right. So I think, yeah. It's okay to have the conversation. Yeah, I think you have to. Otherwise, then you're being ignorant yourself. I mean, imagine anybody else running. So his last point is about Dianne Feinstein. We'll get to that in a second. But imagine that just a few years back, Dianne Feinstein left her house with a shotgun and held mm-hmm. somebody up. I mean, so it, it it's that would have been news, right? It would have yeah. been news if anybody did it. It's a perfectly valid thing to work through and to acknowledge. And had we arrived at a place where Fetterman walks outside, there's 10 white people gathered outside of his home and he holds the one black person up with his shotgun. Well, that would have been severely problematic, right? I mean, there's all different ways that that could have gone horrifically wrong. Not the least of which is, had he accidentally pulled the trigger and killed this man who wound up not being the one who was, you know, committing any sort of crime. And I think that if if we had gotten to the end of the conversation and said we can't support him, then that would have been more akin to what to what Jim is saying here, Jimmy. It's like, if we were like, yeah, no, sorry, you have this one transgression on your on your report card. Right. That's too that's that's letting perfect be the enemy of good. That's right. Did I get that right? 100 percent Okay. Well, I wasn't yeah. sure if I had it backwards. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I think having a conversation is okay as long as we work through it and arrive at the conclusion, which we did. And good on us for having it now. We need to have these conversations now, not later. Shouldn't be surprised by any of these things. So yeah. it's it's okay to to talk it out. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we have our panties in a bunch. No. And I don't wear tidy whities for your information. Neither do I. Boxer brief kind of guy. I'm not going to disclose mine. That's fine, too. <laughs> uh, he does close with, did you or 99 see the story from the San Francisco Chronicle on Diane Feinstein? 
She was interviewed and according to the article, not lucid, forgetting people's names in the room, repeating herself. Clearly her mental acuity is in decline. Yeah, so this is back in the news. It was in the news a while back. This isn't, you know, the first time around that uh, Diane Feinstein's been accused of kind of losing her mental faculties. This is a really tragic situation. And this is one of those situations where I truly do blame the Democratic establishment for not just saying, hey, it's time. You need to take care of your health. Her people are purportedly covering for her every minute of the day, trying to you know, run interference for her. But she doesn't have the goods. She just doesn't have it. It's extremely, extremely sad, more than anything. I mean, I'm not sure if I, if there's anything to even really comment on other than this is, it's kind of tragic. Like this woman should be allowed to gracefully exit the stage and kind of seek the help that she needs and should not be in a position of authority or power. So what happens if she resigns? Special, well, in this time frame, probably a vacant seat until the election. I don't think it's soon enough to call a primary. I feel like- I don't know that to be sure though. I think there should be some sort of clause for like medical absence. Like if you're just a dick, you know, and you resign, like if you do, if you have a scandal and you have to resign, I feel like then it should be open up. But if you're, if you're a medically, if you're just an old person, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have been able to retire and maybe like it should be allowed to be appointed by the same party if in that case. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, remember when Just McCain was ill and and he stayed and they, remember they called him back for a fucking vote because they're they're animals. The Republicans, they 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 forced that uh, to him to come back and he had to he was the one that had to come back and, and defend uh, health care mm -hmm. for the country. It's kind of a sick system that we don't allow people to, you know, gracefully exit. I don't know what the answer is here necessarily, other than the, her malady, if she really is, that uh, has declined that much. I mean, it sounds like she has dementia. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying and to be a And that's not an age. No, that could happen to totally. anybody at any age. But the symptoms sound like dementia. Yeah. And, and her handlers... I, I think in this case, it, yes, it is an extremely important position, but her handlers should also be a little more human. Yeah, but what if they like it because they get to make decisions? <laughs> well, there's there's probably a lot of that. But yeah, I think my solution is perfect. Frankly, I'm going to give myself that. If you have to leave for a medical reason, the party gets to appoint somebody and the end and it doesn't go open. But if they have a scandal, then it's it's fair game. So I don't know if this works the same everywhere, but I know that the governor is allowed to appoint the senators in a certain situation or mm -hmm. uh, to an open seat. A lot of it depends on the timing before an election. Forgive us for not knowing the answer to this, but we'll research it before the next time. Or I'm confident that we'll hear from the unfuckers as to what the actual protocol is. I just find it sad more than anything that this woman is clearly in decline and nobody is allowing her the grace to exit the stage right now. It just, it sucks. Yeah. We have to protect our seniors in this country and irrespective of what position that they hold, it's just kind of mean. Yeah. So Nathan S. goes a little bit deeper into the Fetterman situation and asks a question, posits a question here. I listened to your discussion twice and it seemed to me that the concern was more about the fact that he had raised a shotgun to a black man as opposed to him having a shotgun at all. Continues later on, we all have some type of skeleton in our closet, and unless your ego is too big, you would never want that exposure. I suspect that is why you started a podcast instead of running for office directly as well. 
I have three kids personally, and I know I would never want to be in the position that any politician puts themselves in. So instead, we always have to be stuck with the robust and boisterous blowhards. Fetterman fits that bill. He is awkward and wild and a patriot and gives the left a reason to, quote, own the flag, so to speak. We need more Fettermans on the left. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I also agree. I, I do think that we need to have that conversation about race because it's important to have that conversation. But I also agree that it is as problematic in that story that he brandished a shotgun against another human being when he was not in an officer of the law. And that's sort of how it works. So you have to look at it through a, through a rules of engagement lens and and call out the troubling part that he you know picked up a fucking shotgun. Yeah, that's okay. I do think though this is a little bit something. I can't I can't put the words to it. So let's it, let's change the scenario a little bit. I don't know the gun laws in Pennsylvania. I don't know what guns are allowed. I don't know open carry conceal. I don't know any of that. So let's say he's in a state where you can open carry a gun. Let's say it wasn't a shotgun. Let's say it was just regular handgun or a hunting rifle, something that he could have legally. Like Florida, when you enter the sixth grade, you get, a, you know, a machine <laughs> Of course. Gun. So if you're brandishing a gun legally, does that change? That doesn't, to me, it doesn't change the fact, whatever type of gun, whatever, that someone pulled a gun, but that happens in a lot of places. Not saying I support that, obviously. I think to say that we're making it about him being black and not about him being a gun is, I think it's missing the point altogether. I mean, we're not saying white on white crime never happens but there's a lot of white on black crime that we see lately with people killing innocent black people all the time so well the, yeah, the, well, the dual element that you're you're speaking to is that he is an elected position of power over his constituents he is in a societal position of power as a white man in this society over marginalized people that's just everybody knows that's where we lean into. That's that's part of our belief system here is that there is an institutional superiority to the positions that white men occupy in this country. I would even go as far to remove his power from this scenario because he wasn't if he said, like, I'm the was the mayor. Was yeah. he, if he ran out and said, I'm the mayor, you know, you shot things in front of my house. That would be a different story. I don't think that's what he did. I don't know. Sounds like, f from my knowledge, and someone please, if I'm wrong, if he was like, I'm a, I'm the mayor, I'm doing a citizen's arrest. All right. But it doesn't sound like he was using his authority in this. He was just acting, period. So I feel like if we strip away his power, you know, his office, then we're just looking at a situation of a white man coming out of his house with a gun, regardless of legal or not, and brandishing it and detaining a black person. To me, I'm like, the whole thing is race here. It's it's like you can't, I don't know. I just think, I don't think it's fair to make it. It's a very, it's a very, I don't, you know, all color, whatever. It's it, that, to me, that argument has that essence in it. Yeah. And so like, I appreciate the discourse to Nathan, you right. know, and it, I think it's valid to work through it and, and raise your points. But I don't think it's fair to be like, you're making it all about color. Cause it's like, yeah, look around. The whole world is about color, unfortunately, but we can't just resign ourselves saying well i think all men are equal so i don't i didn't care if it was whatever like no that's just not how it works we, right. unfortunately we live in a fucking caste system mm -hmm. and this is part of it so we have to look at all aspects but especially this aspect because it wouldn't have been news right that's what i have when i have conversations with people like you know it comes up very very often when i'm having conversations with people about 
trans people in sports is the one I can think of on the top of my head where I'm like, well, do you care? Why would you care? Did you care before? So it's the same thing of like, if he pulled a gun on a white person, would you have cared? And the answer is probably no. But because, you know what I mean? Like, yes. so it's a little bit reverse of what I'm saying, but it's all news because of the way we are in society. If that all, it's kind of a jumble, but it makes sense in my head. Uh, I don't know. I just don't want to discount that. I don't think it's fair. Hey, it's Manny Faces. I don't jump into show notes too much. Uh, I wanted to give my two cents into this. I like Fetterman uh, for a lot of the things you, you're all talking about. And I certainly think we should be talking about the issue of race as it is tied into so many things that happen uh, in America, particularly you know, these kinds of incidents, which have unfortunately reared their ugly heads in the past. You know, there are such things as implicit bias and there are such things as you know, explicit bias you know, when it comes to these things. Now, it's nuanced and you know, maybe at its core, and maybe I think that Fetterman would have detained a white dude who was in the same position. I think that in that regard, the problem is much more that he felt he had to go out into the world with a shotgun and, you know, and hold it on somebody and, and, and be this sort of vigilante uh, type person. Uh, I'm actually fine if you have your shotgun in your house and, you know, you're protecting your, your land directly, your family directly, but, you know, running out into the world uh, as if uh, they shown a giant Fetterman logo into the cloud from the top of the police building. <laughs> Not really what I want in my, in my elected officials. Of course, when I look at this whole thing is it doesn't really matter what I think or what, you know, y'all think or whatever. It's it's in this case, it's what the black community thinks. Uh, they're the ones that are being affected. None of our opinions matter uh, and or could even come from the perspective of those who might feel uh, that there was a, uh, a biased incident uh, that occurred. Uh, so you have to look at that. Uh, but I did interestingly look up an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer where the man confronted uh, his name is Christopher Mayares, I believe, says that John Fetterman lied about everything regarding the confrontation in Braddock. Still, he says, I hope he gets to be a senator. Uh, so it's interesting that the guy who got the shotgun pulled on him, the innocent man who wasn't sh shooting or doing anything uh, illegal at the time, still endorses him and basically says, hey, this guy's done a lot of good. And, you know, he lied about what happened with me, but that generally speaking, I still think he's uh, good for the community and also points out, I think, that he got reelected a couple of times after this incident. So if you're you know, coming from that community and that community still endorses you and still bigs you up, then I think that's an important thing to look at. But it does actually concern me on a whole different level now that this guy, uh, Fetterman, claims he didn't know the race of the person he was chasing and then or detaining and that he didn't actually point the shotgun directly at him. And the man who was detained and is black says, you know, he knew he knew who, who exactly what race I was. And he pointed the shotgun exact right at me. So he lied in the I guess in the court proceedings or whatever. That's troublesome because that would mean that he knew that there was going to be backlash against the fact that this guy was black. And uh, he knew that there was going to be backlash against him pointing the shotgun directly at this citizen uh, who had no no real reason to believe that anything wrong. That's even more concerning because he knew that that was going to be a problem. And if he actually lied about it, instead of just saying, hey, look, I live in a black community. I heard some stuff. I ran outside. That was wrong. This was the guy that I came that I came across. I would have done the same thing for a white dude. I would have like kind of owning it. Instead, he says it didn't happen. I didn't know he was black. And then goes on to disparage the guy because the guy is now in jail for some other wild thing that he 
basically posed, I think, as a like an Uber driver and basically kidnapped a woman. So, okay, like that's this, you know. But when you hear Fetterman talk about it in the years since, he'll bring that up. Like, hey, you gonna take my word for it, or are you gonna take this, you know, uh, this guy who you know kidnapped a woman and. And it's, it seems very deflective still and very defensive as if rather than just saying, this is what happened. I did it. Black or white, I would have done the same thing. I know what y'all thinking, but it's not that. Um, I did point the gun at him. I was wrong. I did know he was black, but that didn't stop me because it wouldn't, wouldn't have mattered either way. I just did a wrong thing. I think, so I think there's other things that we're not even talking that we haven't even talked about that I came across that makes me question like the whole thing. That all being said. He's probably the better candidate in this case. And unfortunately, so much of politics and, you know, regular citizens, it always comes down to sort of like this lesser of all evils kind of deal. And that's very frustrating. And while we said no candidate is perfect, no person is perfect. And no, you know, there's always skeletons and closets. I, I ain't running for <laughs> I'm not running for shit. Um, it does feel like this is another one of those situations where, you know, the lesser of all evils even though he did this thing that's real problematic, we're just going to have to roll with it and see what happens. So anyway, uh, that was like my four cents. So thanks for that. No, and, and that's why we said messy. Mm -hmm. This is messy. And I think he lands on the perfect spot, which is, you know, why would anybody want these public figure jobs? I mean, we it really is a brutal, brutal environment to put yourself out there, which is why... Maybe we don't get the cream of the crop running for office anymore because people are so fucking terrified. And yeah, we all have skeletons in our closet. Mine is that I used to be a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more like a platform than a skeleton. Yeah, it's so true. easy. Um, Who's but, got skeletons that big? No offense. Right. But so that's a pretty big one, right? That, that's the that point. one it's is. Like, yeah, that's a pretty big one. You pull the fucking gun on somebody as the elected authority in the city of the people you're looking to protect. You can look at it from a whole bunch of different angles, but yes, we do not want to discount any of these things. All right, let's move over. It's not to just say, hell, let's stop having that conversation, but I also don't want this to completely take it over because again, there's so much more about Fetterman to love and it's hopefully going to be wonderful to have him on the national stage and somebody else that's completely aligned with Bernie in the Senate as part of the Progressive Caucus. And I think, I mean, that's just par for the course of like, you did 30 good things and one bad thing, and that's what people are going to talk about. Right. So like you said, we're getting ahead of it in a way. So that way now we don't have to talk about this anymore because we've reconciled it, hopefully, and people listening feel that it's reconciled in their heads. We can move on and talk about the good things. So. That's right. So we can talk about the good things like Bobby McDee, who said, I have a lot to say of the doom and gloom about midterm bloodbaths, et cetera, comes from the Democrats and the Democrat-leaning media, including people like Pacman and Tyler Cohen. You've heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, go figure. A message to the blue dogs. If you're not up to it, let's get progressives elected who are. Incidentally, get your poop in a group T-shirts. I mean, shirts. I'd buy one. It'd be a good midterm slogan, too. Biden. It's time to get your poop in a group, America. Because that's what we want to do, right? <laughs> we all want our poop in a group. Also, it's time for Wisconsin to cut off its Johnson. Yeah, so even though he's in Ireland, I would I would definitely elect Bobby McDee to be the head of marketing uh, and all content writing for the DCCC. 
Anders B. said, I live in Minnesota and Dean Phillips is my congressman who is a member of the Problem Solver Caucus, which you have expressed as a problem itself. Will you elaborate on the issues that you see on this topic? Uh, just to tease it a little bit, again, I, I did hint that that's going to be the subject of a quickie. There are a few formal caucuses and organizations within the Democratic elected officials base that are themselves, to me, a big problem, A, because of where they get their money, B, because of certain stances that they take, and C, because it gives them cover under fake sloganeering to sound like they're doing it for the right reasons, but they're not. Problem Solvers Caucus is one of them, where a lot of the funding, believe it or not, comes from conservative fundraising. And you can see that in the messages that are put out through the caucus. That's all I'm going to say about it right now, because we're going to flesh this out more in a full episode. But Problem Solvers, again, great title. Hey, we're here to fix it because we think that Washington is broken and it's going to be alignment between both sides of the aisle on key issues that push us forward. Yeah, that sounds great, except when you see the issues that actually do emerge from that caucus as moving forward. They are decidedly anti-progressive issues, and a lot of that has to do with where the money really comes from. Then there's the blue dog Democrats. The blue dogs are the military hawks, the so-called speak softly but carry a big stick, but they're the ones that are always swinging the big stick instead of speaking softly. They're pro-war, pro-military, and take a lot of money from those, you know, the same type of sources as you can well imagine. Anyway, we're going to unfuck those in an upcoming quickie a little bit deeper, but it really does come back from who's funding these caucuses, what they're actually talking about, and the issues that emerge from these caucuses that are that are really problematic. And so now let's get into some general feedback. Our first is from good friend Elena S. from Below the Border. Elena talks about what it's like when the sleeping masses suddenly wake up or what does wake up the sleeping masses. And typically it's a, a pretty negative story. So she's basically going on to talk about how most of the population's just trying to get by. And that is a consistent theme that we try to press all of the time on Unfucking the Republic. People are busy. That's part of the plan. People are busy. They're stressed. They're strapped. They're thinking about the next meal. They're thinking about healthcare payments. They're thinking about putting their kids through school. Think about all of these different issues. And when they're under stress, they're not thinking necessarily about progressive reforms that would really move the country forward. They're looking for someone to blame. So Elena S. says, quote, all of a sudden, the uninformed populace awakens from its media-induced slumber and wants someone to blame, someone on whom to vent their frustration. And that really is the mantra of the right is pick that person, pick that issue, the wedge issue, someone to blame drive a freight train through it and get you really mad about it so that it diverts your attention. And she closes with 99 for you. I checked out fish. I love Elena. She's so great. Sorry, just can't get into that, but love you guys. <laughs> I love that they tried. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it depends on where you started. You put on like a 20 minute Harry Hood jam. Yeah, I see why that didn't work. So, okay. So what, what is somebody's entry point into fish? Interesting. I mean, this is a much debated topic. There's a whole podcast about it called Analyze Fish, which is Scott Ackerman and may he rest in peace, Harris Whittles, who was taken from us too soon. It was, I think, one of the saddest days of my life. Felt like he was my friend. 
but Harris is a hardcore fish head. Harris was a hardcore fish head. Scott does not care, did not care for fish. So Harris would play him different songs and try to get him. Scott even went to a couple shows, I think. And it was just so funny listening to so you know, listening to fish through Scott's ears. But then all the the fans, PH fans, PHANS, you know, fish fans. Oh god. They would write in and be like, what the fuck? So it'd be a whole thing. But um that I think you should start with the podcast, honestly, because you hear it from a true expert like Harris. So if you care enough, I can't imagine you do, uh check out that podcast. Or just listen to like Farmhouse, the song, bouncing around the room. Uh, Sparkle, those are songs people love. And what should they do to them? So I'm a big fan of like driving music. I'm part of the car culture, sadly, just because of where I live. What is that? No, you're not. Yes, you don't I like am. go to the train station and like go to car meetups. Oh, no, not that way. But like, well, uh, you have to be more I, clear. I don't live. Uh, mass transit is not part of my life. Okay, sadly, I, I understand what right? you're saying. You have a car and you drive one because of where we live. That is right. Okay. And <laughs> like, do I not driving know this? music? Uh-huh. Is really important to me. Yeah. So can you listen to these terrible songs that you just mentioned while you're driving? Yeah. The, or are they <laughs> do you have to like drop acid in and stare at the corner no, of your room like like no. you do? There's plenty of fish that is palatable to the sober ear. There's mm. plenty of sober fish fans, in fact. Okay. Lots of sober fans across the jam, you know, the jam spectrum. I'd like to see a survey on that. There, there are groups. They have like they'll they'll have tables, you know, like a, almost like you go to a college fair, you know, and there are little tables. But like the sober group, they'll have a table that you know if you're like having a hard time during a show, if you feel like you, you know, I mean, people all around you are on drugs, drinking, smoking. So it's like not a great environment. But if you still love the music, so it's a it's a support group. They'll give out like candy and stuff like that, stickers, and uh, you know, you could wear one so people know, like, because people will pass weed around and shit like that in the non-cut well i'm sure people still do it but it's not something i'm doing um yeah so there you go there are it's a very inclusive culture there's a book i'd like to recommend (laughs) called you know us but you don't like us and um that's great yes i have to look up the author's name he was the head writer for the onion his name is nathan nathan sirs (laughs) no nathan second nathan rabin so it's called You Know Me But You Don't Like Me, colon, Fish and Sane Clown Posse <laughs> and My Misadventures with Two of Music's Most Maligned Tribes. So it's by Nathan Rabin. He used to be the head writer of The Onion. It's like a super easy read, probably like 200 pages. And basically, there, it, he follows two journeys, one where he starts dating this girl who loves fish and he wants to, you know, travel with her and get into it with her. And but then he like starts to really like fish. And so that's about him, you know, ingratiating himself into that society learning. The second journey, you know, concurrent, but also they diverge at times, is him and his friends would ironically watch Insane Clown Posse videos. And then they sort of were like, do we like Insane Clown Posse? And they started going to like gathering the juggalos and all this stuff. And just learning about how these these two cultures, I mean, there's a lot of problems with the ICP crowd. but I mean, probably the same problems in the fish crowd, but... It's just really fascinating to read about these two, like, completely different communities who have the same ideals of, like, friendship and music and understanding. Because, like, you can find anyone from anywhere at either of these events. Um, But, yeah, I recommend I'll add it to our bookshop. 
When are y'all going to let me go on a long ass rant about what I think is actually the most inclusive musical, cultural, social movement, uh, perhaps in history? (laughs) It sure ain't the insane clown posse. No offense. I wish you could all see 99 as I could right now. Just she's so in her glory. She loves this topic so much. I mean, it's it's my whole life. Whole life? Concerts. Oh, that's true. You know, I will say Fish isn't my number one. I don't, my number one is a smaller band that I don't talk about because I think it would identify me a little bit more because they have a- They only have seven fans? No, they have quite a following, but you know, a little more communal. So I, I keep that one, I keep the one to myself. But in in normal days, I spend every every weekend, Weeks in the summer, traveling, going to festivals, and it's all kind of, you know, come down, (laughs) come crashing down during COVID. So, but it is kind of my hobby in a way, is going to shows and being with my friends and dancing and... Okay, I have that band too. Yeah. I won't say who they are. They have seven followers. (laughs) I'm just fucking with you. But I guess my fish is Billy Joel. Mm, that's, That's comparable. Yeah, I think that's good. You know, like I know, I know so much about them and I've seen them, you know, fish. I mean, I've seen them probably 15 times, which isn't a lot for fish fans, but it's a lot for normal people because not and not even in a disparaging way. Like, that's what I love about jam bands is that they they tour constantly, like at any point in time they're they're playing. Well, because nobody will buy their albums. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, so like, you know, but if your favorite if your favorite artist right now is Harry Styles, who his new song is very good, so I say that. I'm not a hater. Faci- not facetiously. Not a hater. No, I know. I'm no. just to the to the audience. Um, you know, he comes to your area maybe once every three years. Same with Taylor Swift, things like that. So if those are your favorite artists. Like the connection isn't really there in the same way, but so that's why I'm like, yeah, I've seen Fish 15 times, which isn't a lot for Fish fans. But if your favorite artist is Taylor Swift, like maybe you've seen her six, seven times over the last 10 years, just based on unless you. I mean, I don't know how anyone would have money to follow her because those tickets are pricey. Um, but yeah, so I love them, but they're not my number one. So back to politics. Can we get back to politics? Please. Yo. <laughs> Please. This is more fun. Does anyone want unfucking jam bands hosted by 99? All three of you out there? I'm sure there's more than three. That listen to this show. <laughs> Okay, maybe. Yeah. There. <laughs> Let me know right right in. I think that show would be very popular. Oh, yeah. No, so do I, actually. That'd be cool. I don't know what I talk about. Oh my god. <laughs> Is that I a mean, joke? I'm not the I'm not like the four there are people like Andy Frasco has his own podcast and he's in the in the scene. Why would people listen to me? I'm gonna listen to you're ninety nine. I know, but and you're brilliant. Yeah, not in the same as like I don't know these people mm. very parasocial i don't know elon omar i thought you were well first i thought you were gonna say billy joel and then you said elon and i was like musk Ew. i know i was confused don't know elon musk. Uh, atomic dog <laughs> weighed in after elena which is great because atomic dog says i'm super grateful to you for focusing on latin america and immigration issues i'm mexican-american and really appreciate the depth and breadth that you have and plan to go into in future episodes. It's something I feel most political podcasts either ignore or skimp on, but not you guys. So thanks. I'd love if you ask listeners like Elena S. If they have any good Spanish language pod love to share. Putting that out there. 
any Spanish language political pods or any pods really that you dig, please let us know and we'll share it in next show notes for Atomic Dog. And Evan D said, fan-fucking-tastic show. I'm sure you get a million of unfucking suggestions, but one that I think could be incredibly interesting is unfucking Detroit. It is often the butt of jokes for conservatives and even leftists and liberals. By the way, I feel the same thing about Chicago. Chicago, I feel, is more the butt of uh, jokes from conservatives who are always pointed to, you know, the south side of Chicago. I mean, if Trump brought that up once, he brought it up a million fucking times and continues to to this day. So I think unfucking areas like south side of Chicago and Detroit and the larger contributions in some of the systemic and endemic issues that kind of haunt them and plague them from a political and economic standpoint, I think is a really, really good idea. Anyway, Evan continues, its history is fucking fascinating. Being one of the fastest growing cities in the first half of the 20th century, the home of the UAW, the largest city by square mileage, the heart of the megalopolis, and a lot more. Two major resources for this are Origins of the Urban Crisis by Thomas Segru and Broke by Jody Krishner. Okay, we'll look those up. Maybe we'll stick those in bookshop. And uh, I think it could be a great learner for people since the city is often used as the thesis of conservatives as to why leftism is bad, parentheses, after Venezuela. So, yeah, I think this is a good one. I would definitely include South Central Los Angeles, probably the Boogie Down Bronx and South Side of Chicago as maybe a a wrap up in in a whole episode about utilizing the quote unquote inner city boogeyman as a rationale against leftist politics. So great suggestion, Evan, and I appreciate you putting Detroit in the mix there. Jenny SC said, I would like UNFTR to see if they could ask or delve into this question. Do the Trump Republican supporters, not just the real Trumpers, really think that the Republican Party, and especially Trump himself, gives a rat's ass to actually help them in any way? I'd also like to mention my husband is the biggest deadhead that 99 would ever meet. I doubt that, only because I've met my dad. But <laughs> well, maybe up there, maybe he knows your dad. It's honestly possible, right? It is. So the core of the Republican Party, do they still believe in the Republican ideals? I believe that they do. I believe that they're supportive of the party in general, because I think that they have won and continue to win the overarching messaging battle, which is that the left is dangerous and will open the borders, invite in unwanted people to steal your food, your jobs. I think that they've won the messaging on anti-socialism and being able to sweep up all good government programs under the umbrella of something that is quote unquote socialist so that people can't even recognize things that are useful for themselves. And I think that there's a good amount of very vocal, very high profile and well-funded Republicans who still continue to propagate the myth of prosperity through trickle-down economics. And it's baked into into the Republican belief system at this point that tax and spend Democrats will ultimately redistribute wealth and take away what you've earned. Their messaging is always so clear, so simple, that I do believe that there are good Republicans, well-meaning and well-intended Republicans, that don't have enough of an economic understanding to realize that good government 
social democratic programs inure to the benefit of all of us. And that the better we all do, the better you will do individually. So, yeah, I, I do believe that there's a significant element of the Republican Party, by the way, that is very upset with the Trump wing of the party, that is very upset with Donald Trump for taking over the party, and that a lot of them held their nose the first time around and voted for him because they were scared of Democrats. And a lot of them still voted for Trump the second time around or against him, but on the local level, we'll always make sure that they have Republican representation to, quote, manage the ship. This idea that in times of crisis, Republicans manage both the economy and foreign affairs better than Democrats, which is just a complete fallacy and not based on any empirical evidence, research or history. But again, messaging matters. So I believe that there is a more than a, a chunk of the traditional classic Republican base that really believes that these things are true and believes in all of the propaganda that they've consumed over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. So then Paul said, not sure if cannabis is on your radar, but over the last three years, I've spent a lot of time around the culture in Northern California, building a cabin in the woods, also a cannabis farm. This is the Unabomber writing to us. Uh, yeah, sorry, 99. There was already a Unabomber. This would be the Dose Bomber. This coincides with many states legalizing weed. As I've listened intently to your pod, as well as Pitchfork, it has heightened my awareness of the fuckery occurring, even in states like California. Small generational farmers are being decimated. These are not big profit-making operations, but subsistence farmers. In comes the new legal system and permitting, which requires a $500,000 investment to get started. Big tech money is buying properties all over California, and I'm sure other states. The small growers had been holding on until, surprise, surprise, the big guns have driven the price into the ground. Small growers are leaving the business altogether or working for the big guys. This is the, quote, free market solution to legalization. Fuck that and double fuck Milton motherfucking. There's so much here, Paul. I think it's worthy of a complete and thorough unfucking building on the war on drugs, going through the, the legalization movement, looking at the reforms that occurred over time that were good and then how they've been co-opted by corporate greed and then how the government recognized that obviously this was going to be a really beneficial place for state taxation and to fill the coffers. We have enough under our belts now to really examine this appropriately. And it's going to be one of the more interesting battles as progressives get deeper into power is how this is actually rolled out. So right now, weed is legal in certain states because the government is turning a blind eye to it, the federal government. So they're allowing for it in certain states. That means that there are structural elements to the cannabis industry that are against the small guy and favor big private money. And I say private money because remember, weed farmers all the way to dispensaries are predominantly unbanked, meaning they don't have the typical banking protections and abilities that a regular business might have because you can't get federal deposit insurance on an account sitting at a bank if your funds were derived from the sale or production of cannabis. So that's a weird financial element to this that's not going to be fixed until the federal government sees its way clear to actually legalizing it and making it monetizable through legal means in the financial system. That's just part of our system, it's part of this so-called free market fuckery. My guess is that, first of all, if Milton Friedman were alive right now, he would be 
he would be screaming at the government and at all these private industries for how they've handled the rollout of weed. Milton Friedman would have legalized weed, would have allowed it to be sold pretty much anywhere to anybody, and would have encouraged small privatization across the country. In this one instance, Milton Friedman probably would have been your best friend and advocate because he actually ad advocated for the legalization of weed. Remember that that is part of the core libertarian philosophy, much of which was built around Friedman's ideals. So th this one gets a little more complicated when we want to throw the fuck Milton Friedman into it, because Friedman probably in this case would have been, you know, one of the movement's best friends. That just goes to show you, again, not everything is bad across the board. There's always legitimacy to different people's stances and arguments. But there's a health component here. There is a government regulation component. And there's also a carceral component to this as well. Any progressive movement, just to move from the financial side of this uh, for a moment, any progressive movement towards the legalization of cannabis sales and consumption in this country has to move in lockstep on a state and federal basis with pardons for anybody that has ever been convicted of a crime involving cannabis. Wow, that's what Kim Kardashian was saying. There you go. Not everybody's <laughs> bad all the time. Yeah, Kim, didn't she actually, like, she even got people out of jail. Yeah, Trump. I which mean, is kind of crazy. Pretty amazing. I think she's studying to become a lawyer. Good good luck, Kim. Is she the one? Yes. Okay, good luck, Kim. Um, <laughs> on uh, Back to Uncle Fucknugget. He probably would have been our big protector on this one. Milton 420 Blaze at Friedman. There you go. Oh, wow. Damn. All right. For all the libertarians out there, there's a good there's a good T-shirt idea for you. But on the other side, if we do not have a complete exoneration and expunging of records involving cannabis crimes in this country, this doesn't work. And that's one of the great fears with the Democrats and Republicans going about this state by state and taking it all in into the state coffers and making a ton of money. And also because of the fact that it is illegal federally and they are the great unbanked, it takes a tremendous amount of private equity and venture capital and private money to get these things going and to sustain them and to work within the burgeoning regulatory framework. So yeah, the small person is getting edged out of this and, and it's just such fucking bullshit. And, and I hate to say this, Paul, I have less of a concern about the small cannabis operators and more of a concern societally that we do the right thing for anyone who is still trapped in the carceral sphere. And that could mean having it on your, you could be free, but have it on your record. That could mean that you are on probation or on parole for any crime related to cannabis. To me, that is the great moral crime of this entire thing is that the states are seeing their way clear to doing this without doing the right thing by those who have been incarcerated. And stop drug testing your employees. Yes. Who seriously. cares? Who gives a shit if your fucking employee smokes weed? As long as they're not actively smoking weed at their job. And if you work in a dispensary, please do. I want you to be high. Otherwise, how am I going to know what to buy? But like, fuck off. It's so stupid. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. I, I don't. Um... Oh, is your Republican side coming out? <laughs> how dare you? Well, I don't know. Now, one of the things we have to figure out is accidents are up. It's a, it's a big problem. Driving? Yeah. So the Drive high, get a DUI. That's what the things say. Yeah, the vehicular part of this thing. And 
which leads my mind into long haul truckers, pilots, you know, transportation infrastructure. I, so, yeah, I don't think. I feel like the trucker example is a little bit of an outlier only because it's such an extreme job of like people. I feel like the, it, their issue is not smoking weed. It's, you know, driving for 30 hours, which we talk, I feel like we talked about on some episode. I can't remember which, but like, that's why trucker speed is a thing. Oh, yeah, unquote. no, no. So I don't think doubt. the weed issue, pilots, yeah, I could see that. But truckers, I feel like, who's smoking weed to drive a long haul truck? I don't think anybody should be. That's the thing. And, and I, that, so I know, the question but... then becomes, you know, so I, because I'm not uh, obviously an advocate for, for drug testing at all in any way, shape or form, but there are there's data emerging about vehicular safety and the fact that we so our society has yet to kind of catch up mm -hmm. to every, every new thing creates a different problem and it's just something that we need to figure out and we need to figure it out without drug testing per se but it is something to, to hold out there that i don't think as a society that we have the answer for that just yet we need the uh like a theranos version of drug testing where it could be like the last two hours or something. So like if you smoked weed immediately before driving a truck, they could figure it out. Right. So like, you know, we're like, yeah, you can smoke weed in your downtime, at night, on the weekends, but like just don't smoke while you're driving. And we have a, you know, some sort of Theranos adjacent Yeah, I mean, there's, device. The, there's the logical part of it. Like, you know, not allowing athletes to smoke weed. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And the double standards of of, yeah, of, of what color, you know, athletes get to do it and, and don't get to do it or, you know, what type of drugs they're allowed to do yeah. or not do, Performance enhancing, great. You go Russian skater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're a long, you're a fucking track star and, you know, you just had a loss and you smoked some weed. Fuck you. Yeah, no, that's why I say it. Like, society really hasn't kind of caught up to this. But do I want a crane operator who was high, you know, like five hours ago, maybe to have some residual effect? Um, Probably maybe not. Like. I don't, I don't know. They're, you can really creative with the crane. Like, I don't want that person drinking on the job, right? I don't want, you know. Yeah. Did you see Flight with Denzel Washington? No. I don't want that guy being fuck, fucked up either, you know? Yeah. Um, no matter what they're on. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm, we're on the same <laughs> side here. <laughs> I don't want people being, I don't want my doctor being drunk. I am curious. When, we are going to unfuck cannabis at some point, And I am curious. For as much as it has filled state coffers a lot of independent businesses and people that are just trying to get small businesses off the ground have really been fucked by this and also i believe that there is a serious increase in vehicular accidents so again we're just not there yet we have to we have to figure this out is there is there correlation data though i don't know mm -hmm. I, I don't know that's why i want to understand it like to me my my knowledge of it at this moment is still too anecdotal and based on a couple of like articles that came originally out of Colorado. But is there enough evidence for it to be correlated yet? I, I can't speak to that. I'm sure a lot of unfuckers have the answers to this stuff, by the way. Yeah. And I'm curious to get, by the way, one of the things that you might've noticed is that we are increasingly including research that has been sent by unfuckers. We vet it, we verify it, we go through it, and we make sure that it it is you know from sources that we that we appreciate and that we verify. But you know, unfuckers send great stuff to us that makes the episodes, and we give attribution for it whenever possible. So if you have thoughts on this episode, on a cannabis episode, or others, 
you know, send in some some things that you think are really good clues for us and, and we'll follow them. Yeah. We'll track them down. We have experts who listen. So, yeah. you know. Like legitimate experts yeah, as so you'll hear why soon. wouldn't we include them? Yeah. So that's that. 99, let's, let's head on over to social and start with the Twitters. What's happening over there? Yeah, so TuckBill34 said, could you do a segment on how to explain to a person that the far left is not a counterbalance to the far right or really anything of possibility in these United States? When we were in media, we used to talk about this all the time, that giving equal weight to both sides is, is not being fair and balanced. And you can't give equal weight to something that you know is a lie. And that's something that all media, I believe, still struggles with. And also why some people hate the media so thoroughly. The far right is not a counterbalance. The far right is the worst elements of who we are. The far left, if anything, is just people are offended by the far left because they think that they're taking something from the rest of us. Whereas the far right is is deliberately trying to prevent others from having stuff. So, yeah, they couldn't be more different. They are not the same. And I think we... I don't know if we could work that into a full unfucking, but I think that that should be a prevailing theme as we go forward. Yeah. And then Will Watkins fourth. I am William Wallace. Said, thanks for the note of hope and encouragement, feeling a little less despondent. Don't give up. That was about our recent episode. And then at Space to Place NYC said, I just donated to Jessica Cisneros, or, and her handle is jcisneros.tx, thanks to a recommendation from you in FTR pod. Please consider donating as well. Another great episode. Love it. Thank you so much for donating to Jessica Cisneros. If you hadn't checked out that episode, go to the the end of the last quickie where we talk about Cisneros campaign and put a plea out to support her either by spreading her message on social media or even with a small dollar donation. So space to place. Thanks for opening that up. And then Walt Haim, <laughs> going a little bit back, but we want to make sure we have his his take in here. As a Pennsylvanian and Pittsburgher, I appreciate the outside perspective of coverage. The gun and jogger issue has had me leaning towards Malcolm Kenyatta in the primary and settling for blue whoever in the general. Though I've seen arguments that the problem or issue will actually help in winning the PA general election. For U.S. House, Summer Lee is an exciting progressive candidate and getting her through the finish line would be huge. Connor Lamb and his supporters have been very hostile to progressives. Okay, so Walt Haim suggests that we check out Summer Lee, if you are in Pennsylvania and in that district, hopefully if uh, Summer is a true progressive that uh, you're aligning behind their candidates. And that brings us over to coffee donations, where the Ugandan, always supportive of the show, bought us three coffees, a cup to each of you, Max 99 and Manny, especially after the New York casual white supremacy episode. That's the one that we did about Governor Hochul. Max, you made me cry when you explained how New York New York's Betsy DeVos screwed over the Seneca Nation. Thank you for the donation, Ugandan. We appreciate you as always. And W. Jeremy D. bought us a coffee. Five for you and 50 for Jessica Cisneros for Congress. Thanks for the heads up on this race. No, thank you, Jeremy, for sponsoring her in, in her bid to finally beat this douchebag on the border. And Nathan Surst bought a coffee, buying an extra one this week for me, for admitting to being a Jets and a Mets fan. I agree about the ridiculousness of the new stadiums and the sports culture every year, and I swear to stop watching, yet I keep getting pulled back. Maybe this year will be the year. Well, I can't speak confidently about (laughs) the Jets. Spoken like a true Mets-Jets fan. But Nathan, this is the year for the Mets. 
And I think it's already becoming pretty, pretty, pretty evident. Mm. Did you know I was also raised a Jets fan? And then... No, I'm, I mean, I, I, I don't really have an affiliation. Okay. Like, in my blood, I know I'm a Jets fan, but, like, I don't really care. Does that mean? I'm thinking about putting my allegiance behind the Packers going forward for everything that you explained in, in the episode about uh, public finance. When the fuck did I explain that? You're talking about, like, this bullshit of building stadiums, oh. you know, every 25 years. And da, da, da. It's like, I don't remember this. We should we should take a page. We should all be supporting the Green Bay Packers instead, you know, because the public actually owns that team. And they are beholden to the people, to yeah. the fans. I know that you say this, but there's no way that you're going to s- support a non-New York team. The Jets have never won. My Mets are different. There is a hierarchy in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it is the Mets. Well, the, yeah, and they everyone have shred, else is shreds a of distant, hope. Distant, distant second. Mm-hmm. Distant. All about the Mets. What is the Mets, Jets, Yankees, Giants phenomenon? I don't know if that's empirical or if that's just uh, sort of like anecdotal and out there. I wonder. There is a <laughs> there's um, a, a guy on TikTok and Instagram and he does like a little segment called uh, Jewish or anti-Semitic. And he'll <laughs> he'll say like a thing and then the person it's usually another Jewish person explains why whatever is, an, you know, anti-Semitic or Jewish. So I think one of them was the Mets, which are obviously Jewish. Yeah, clearly. they're struggling. You know, they're they're real scrappy. <laughs> scrappy. Underdogs. So I I always I mean, I, this is I just I the Mets are the Jews of I've, the MLB. Yeah. Well, not of the whole. I mean, yeah, but. Of the Mets and the Yankees, tell me that the Yankees aren't Goyim. I will say, I, d- I did make a Jewish joke last week, and I was like, I hope people can assume that I'm Jewish, <laughs> which I haven't said before, but I am Jewish, and I'm allowed to call myself an old Jewish woman. But um, I don't know. The Mets, they're just, they're Jewish. I dig it, man. Yeah. I dig it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we had a review, by the way, from Lori Green. This is honestly one of the best podcasts that I listen to, Funny and Smart. I've recommended it to all my family and friends, left, right, and the dreaded center. Pick a side, people. Thanks, Lori, for writing that. If you haven't reviewed the pod yet, hey, do so. And uh, we got some beer feedback. I'm going to hand this back over to 99, who is uh, who's definitely the beer connoisseur of the group here. What did, what did they say? Yeah, so as you know, I mentioned it last week, our beer collaboration with Mick Fleshman's of Wisconsin. That went out last week. We still have some unclaimed bottles. If you want to be become an unfucking insane level member, which you can learn about at buymecoffee.com slash UNFTR. And the reviews are in and they're overwhelmingly positive. So W. Jeremy D. tagged us in McFleshman's and said, got mine. Absolutely delicious. I'm not normally a stout fan, but this stuff was terrific and fucking strong. I it fell is. asleep before my kids did. And then MRI29, who I believe is Corey S., said, I'll be visiting Appleton, Wisconsin some weekend in the near future. I've never been a big coffee drinker, but everything tastes better in alcohol. The shipping costs you guys paid for this glorious shipment was unfucking insane. That um, is all a 99 thing. <laughs> she packed these things with love with the most high-end shipping possible to make sure that nothing got broken on the way out to all of you insane level fuckers. I did so. a test ship to our Scottish friend who you've heard from she did. to make make sure that they'd arrive. Um and speaking of that, I'll jump around here. So Ryan F. on Instagram had a message and said, got my UNFTR package the other day. Let it be known that the glittery pen writing and tape on the letter didn't go unnoticed. Thank you. 
which I did. I, I wrote it in glittery marker <laughs> and I, I sealed the letters with glitter tape. And I said, I firmly believe that sparkles bring joy to everybody. Uh-huh. And he said, that's the vibe I got from this envelope, which I felt was him being like, I'm an adult man. <laughs> but like I said, who doesn't love something sparkly? I every The insane level members in particular know that every single thing that comes out of this place is done with love because of you and sparkles and sparkles they just make me happy i'm not gonna i'm not gonna feel shame for that and beer makes me happy so yeah everybody is a winner and then asoke said my my own fucking beer came in yeah mm-hmm. and asoke was taking to pictures of the bottle in her car oh that's right i saw <laughs> that <laughs> someone was like beer while driving is is fucking crazy and it's like obviously it wasn't open but i love the idea that she just couldn't wait and she's like i'm gonna take a picture of this in the car so thank you asoke and then Sam E. sent us a picture of his box and said, my wife just sent me this picture. I'm sadly at work and cannot wait for the occasion to pop this open. Right. Then Nathan E. said, one to drink and one to save for later. Well done, 99. Can't wait to enjoy one tonight. Then Nathan Surst, he's back and said, P.S. I was very happy when I got the beer. I was about to send a donation to your podcast to cover the shipping, but after listening, opted to send the money to the campaign of Jessica Cisneros. Oh, I love it. I live in Texas, but the wrong district. Unfortunately, there are no left-leaning candidates in my district, but I will be supporting her from afar going forward based upon your recommendation. All right. So I thought that was really nice. And then lastly, Rob N. checked in his stout on Untapped and gave it a 4.0 out of 5, which is really good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's solid. I wanted to ta- to toast it, but again, I'm not going to, you know, reveal. It would reveal a lot about me. <laughs> yes, it would. Yeah. So thank you. Just know. I'm out there lurking. Well, on fuckers, we have uh, potentially a new surprise coming up this week that I'm kind of excited about, and you'll understand it when you get it. And uh, just keep paying attention to the feed. And then we have a collaborative episode coming up this week that I'm really excited about because it does drop on another expert. And then the week after that, we have another collaborative episode that I'm also really excited about. This one is with another pod. So lots of good stuff coming up. As always, thank you to everybody who supports the show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash UNFTR to take out a membership. You can also support the show by buying our native roasted coffee from our partners on the Puspatuck Reservation at uh, unftr.com slash shop. Or don't forget to visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTR pod to find all of the titles that we reference and source in the show. And uh, that is it, I think, for right now. Yeah. Don't forget, though, real quick, we have a whole list dedicated to unfucker book recommendations. That's right. So not only what we use for episodes, but what people send in. I will be putting the fish book in there. Don't worry. I know everyone was, you know, on the edge of their seat, but it'll be there. Yeah. So you don't, you don't have to Google it at the end of this episode. 99 yeah. will just give it to you. It'll be in the show notes. See you in a little bit, unfuckers. Have you ever seen baseball before? Hey, wait, get your head here. If you get oh, this on, so, this oh, is Misha. Ah, uh, hello, this is Misha. Is, uh, nice you have right field here. It's Soviet Union on the left field. And uh, what are the, 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 you must feel at home the team is the Reds here. You have, uh, every team in Soviet Union is Reds. Leningrad Reds, <laughs> Moscow Reds, yeah. Kiev Reds, all the same team. It's nice, man, just to came home, you know, in Soviet Union, you can't steal home, you occupy home. You occupy home. <laughs> Very much, I agree. You don't you own, own it, right? You, no, no, never. Own Everyone anything. owns home. That's right. And you occupy yeah, the empires, home. you never say, you know, safe, out, everything. What do you say? No one safe. is safe. No right? one's safe. No, as long as there are weapons. <laughs>
No, That's true. Safe. You need a visa to be out, right? Very much, yes. You must negotiate for that. Out, you know. <laughs> to get out, you can't. You're not out. You must get out. Get out. Yeah, you say But you can't out. come home if you get out. Yeah, you get out. You can't come home. Ah. It's like, who's on first, but not yet? But not yet. <laughs> not yet. Who are some of the great stars in uh, Russian well, baseball? The famous Russian catcher, Red Yiddish. Red Yiddish, yes. <laughs> Robin Williams, who, of course, is starring in Dead Poets Society. And Billy Crystal, starring in When Harry Met Sally, which opens Wednesday. It's exciting. Do you like this, Parker? I don't know. I think I look at this, I see reds. I want to say Cincinnati salmon. Why not? Mm -hmm. Okay.